you want to turn in your Bibles or a Bible provided for you, or your Bible device, whatever you got there, Bible app, I should say, go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter uh, 2, fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, or third book, excuse me, Matthew, Mark, Luke, yep, 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 I went to graduate school to learn that. Okay, uh, Luke 2 today, part of the Christmas story, um, so this, this Advent season, we're going to be doing something called uh, the Outcasts of Advent in our Bible studies and in our messages, and looking at the different characters and how God uses what the world might call as outcasts and draws them in to his story. Uh, so this word has been on my mind, outcasts, and uh, we're going to be thinking of these shepherd outcasts, but in a way, we're all outcasts. Uh, you know, we are cast out of perfection. We don't, we don't live in a perfect world. Uh, we, we live in a world that has brokenness, right? And on our own, we're, we've been cast out, according to the scripture, out of God's perfect family, but we have this God who wants to draw us in, right? Uh, so it's not a very cheery idea for a pastor to get up and all the decorations and say, hey, you're a bunch of outcasts, right? Uh, but this, this is part of the story. Um, so we need to think about this and feel this as we approach Christmas in the season of Advent, that God has this repeated over and over again through history and evidenced in our lives here as well uh, of using outcasts or what the world might call outcasts to advance his story of love and salvation, right? Let's think about this. He, he asked Abraham to leave his family and go to a, another land, right? He used Moses, who literally as a baby was cast out on the waters, right? And then ran away from Egypt and became an outcast, right? He used Israel, the the nation of Israel, even though they were cast out of their own land for disobedience at times, right? He used prophets like Elijah and Jeremiah, Hosea and Amos, who who weren't popular in their times or had to do things that were unpopular. I mean, Amos was even from Tico. That's hard life, right? Okay. Uh, Tekoa is how you say it in the Bible. But I mean, uh, outcasts. God used these, these outcasts outside of the mainstream, unpopular, but they were telling God's message. And in Advent, the season that means God came to us, God arrived, and he's coming again, we consider that God used this, this outcast named John the Baptizer or John the Baptist, right? He wasn't part of a Baptist denomination. He came and he was dunking people. He was doing this crazy thing out in the Jordan River where it was the, the Jordan River running through the desert area. He was taking people and dunking them in the water when they said they would repent of their sins. Not a normal thing to do. And he wore camel's hair and he ate, he ate locusts and wild honey. He was way outside the mainstream. He was like some of those prophets of old, right? Like Elijah had come back or something. And people for some reason, tens of thousands of people, maybe over 100,000 people were flocking to this movement of this outcast-looking guy, John the Baptizer, coming to say, you know what, I do need to get my life straight and prepare my life for the Lord, because that's what John was preaching. He was saying, prepare for the Lord, he's gonna return. His whole life, his parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they've been preparing him, John, to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. For 30 years, about, John had been preparing this and he'd been told, you're gonna help pave the way in a sense for the Messiah King, the Savior, is gonna come back and you're gonna help come from the outside and 
tell people to get their hearts ready. 30 years after the night of nights, when angels came and proclaimed the birth of the son of David, Christ, the king, the savior, the Lord. Proclaimed 30 years before John the Baptist came, proclaimed to some apparent outcasts, some shepherds, just some guys doing the night shift on that night of nights. What a night it was. Let's pray to hear the message in the scripture today. Lord, may the words of my mouth and and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, dear Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. You alone should we rightly revere and fear. You alone should we fully follow. You alone should our lives be founded upon, and you alone are the hope of the world. So may your Holy Spirit help us hear and see and experience the good news of great joy in a fresh way today. Lord, I know this story is familiar to many of these folks, but just because it's familiar to many of us, may we not grow accustomed to it. May we not be taken surprised by its greatness again. Right? We need to be surprised by its greatness again. That's what I'm trying to say, God. <laughs> so help us. And I pray that your people would pray for me and other preachers as we declare your word, your good news of great joy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's hear about these shepherds, uh, Luke 2, starting with verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. This is the gospel of our Lord. And uh, isn't it an amazing story? Uh, This is a cool story, and it's also a weird story in some ways, and I don't mean to be insulting in in any way by saying that. Uh, It's something that doesn't happen very often, and surely for these shepherds, it it was a night like no other nights, right? Angels. Angels are divine beings, right? They work in God's presence. These are 
These are the angels who serve God. They're, they're very old, very ancient, very powerful beings, live and serve in God's presence, right? And they are coming back from wherever heaven is. It's pretty close, but it's, it's in another dimension, I guess you could say there. Heaven, the, the veil between earth and heaven is torn open, and here they are on earth, and who do they come to? These, these, God, these God-serving ministers or messengers, they come to some guys who tend to sheep in fields, right? This, this apparent contrast, contrast of you know, these divine-like beings who serve God and these human beings who serve God. Sheep, right? Guard animals down here on earth. And, and, and these angels are telling them that a Savior Christ is going to be born in this nearby small town, Bethlehem. So I want us to think, well, you know, God obviously did this on purpose. He, he obviously is announcing this on purpose in this way. So why shepherds is a really good question for us to ask today. And I, I think God is wanting to make something really clear. He is coming to fulfill his plan to bring his children home. And so he is going to use shepherds because he is the shepherd. He's gonna use shepherds to be his first announcement. So the shepherds are out there and they're doing what they do, right? They're protecting their flock. And what do shepherds do? They protect their flock. They guide them to green pastures or find food for them to eat. They, they get them water right, for them to live. They, they tend to the sick and the lame amongst the sheep. They, they go after the wandering and lost sheep, and that's what God does too, right? He, he protects the flock. He guides us to food. He, he gives us living water for our souls. He tends to the sick, the hurting, the broken, and he goes after the lost, and he provides a secure home. That's what shepherds do. That's what the great shepherds do. So let's think about these shepherds. They were not looked upon uh, highly by most in the culture, and, and though they, it's an important job and we shouldn't look down on it, they, they weren't regarded as the most important for sure. And the religious elite or the religious teachers of, the, the, of Judaism that at that time looked down on them, uh, it was an unclean job, it was a seven-day-a-week job, by, and so by the understanding of the religious teachers, these are unclean people and they're unobservant. They're, you know, they're, they're always out in the fields. Well, of course they are, right? So they're unobservant, they're unclean, and, you know, yeah, we need their sheep. We'll use their sheep and we'll use their special spotless lambs for our sacrifices at the temple, but we'll also look down our noses at them, right? We'll have it both ways in a sense. And, and so they were seen as unclean. And this is really an unfair view. This is not God's view. And it was not a, it's not a universal view. Uh, many, of course, knew the hard and important work of the shepherds. Many knew and appreciated that, yeah, they raised the lambs that we use or the sheep we use for meat and for wool and the, the lambs that we, some of the lambs that we use for sacrifice at the temple. Where would we be without the shepherds, right? And, and so a lot of people appreciated them. And God, most importantly, appreciated the shepherds. He knew the importance of shepherds. And if you think about the Bible, and uh, God, if, if maybe some of you have familiarity with some shepherd stories, but God uses quite a number of shepherds in his ongoing story of the Bible. And more on that in a moment. But here, he's intentionally choosing to appear to these shepherds, though they're outcasts to the religious folks, to the church folks, if we want to say it that way, Right? but they weren't outcasts to the Lord. 
He wanted to draw them into this most important chapter of his story, this most important night of nights. And really, his story has been including shepherds from the earliest of times. So let's think about shepherds in the Bible. Abel. Abel is one of the sons of Adam and Eve. That's almost as far back as you can go in the Bible, right? Uh, And Abel tended flocks. He was a shepherd, right? Now, Abel's life, sadly, was cut short. He was murdered by his brother, Cain. This is the first murder recorded in the Bible. The first murder, murder in the Bible was that of a shepherd. God would never forget that, okay? God, God would continue to then use shepherds in his story. What was Moses doing when he saw the burning bush and called into this ministry? He was tending to his father-in-law's sheep. Jacob was a shepherd, and he was the father of many sons who became the, the namesakes for the tribe of Israel, and Jacob himself became the namesake. His name became Israel. He was a shepherd. Amos, a prophet that I already mentioned, a shepherd from Tekoa. David, the king of kings, the human king of kings, not the king of kings, but the, the, the most prized Jewish king of their, of their nation, the one who founded Jerusalem as the capital city. What was he doing before he was a king? Shepherd. Right? Those are just to name a few from the Bible. Now, God would also use shepherd and shepherd images and songs, and most of you uh, probably know the 23rd Psalm, and it's the shepherd psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd. But there's also some tough stuff in the Bible about shepherds. Uh, Ezekiel, a prophet, uh, he, he was inspired to condemn to condemn the false shepherds of his day, the false religious leaders of his day. And and I just want to read to you from Ezekiel chapter 34, verse two. Ezekiel said, or, or this is in the book of Ezekiel, he was told to say this. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? And then it goes on from there. It actually gets really intense and Ezekiel is given this message from the Lord to share that there's false shepherds leading the people. There's people leading God's people astray. They're not really feeding them the truth. They're feeding them lies, right? And so we we see from God, when we look at the Bible, we see God wants God's people, he wants humans to be led well, to be given the truth, to be led compassionately, to be led fairly, and he hates it when there's unhealthy shepherds, when there's false shepherds. He wants shepherds of truth and love and justice. God wanted good shepherds for his people. Now, ultimately, his shepherd theme in the Bible is restored when he brings the ultimate great shepherd, Jesus, the one who will come and lead with truth, capital T. He is the truth, right? He's going to be the shepherd, the best shepherd that comes with the deepest compassion and, and, and seeks the lost sheep. And he comes and what is, what is one of the things Jesus announces? We see it in the Gospel of John. He announces, I'm the great shepherd, right? And, and my sheep know my voice, right? So what I'm saying is there is a ton of intention or God is doing this story on purpose. He didn't just do this so we could have some figurines in our nativity set, right? Uh, He didn't just show up because he was like, well, Mary decided to have the baby at night, so who's awake, right? Gotta find some guys out there. No, God is orchestrating this great story. 
He remembers the first blood spilt. He remembers his prophets who tried to lead well and the, the false shepherds who led poorly. And he, he is going to come and be the great shepherd. So he is going to use shepherds to hear the good news, to be the first witnesses outside the family. Right? It's amazing the intention God has, the purpose he puts into his story. And there's so much, therefore, we can learn. So let's, let's learn from the shepherds a bit, okay? Uh, reverence. I, I think we can learn reverence from the shepherds. Uh, reverence is a word that I learned, you know, in Boy Scouts. Should have learned it in church, but learned it in Boy Scouts. Uh, reverence. We should rightly fear or deeply respect, revere God, right? Uh, they, I, I think we see this in the shepherds. They understood the message, Others may have looked down on them, but I, I think they had prepared and they'd heard the stories. They'd prayed the Jewish prayers for the Messiah. They, they, in a sense, were ready. We see that the angel announces it, but it doesn't say, and the angel had to go into great explanation of what he was talking about, <laughs> right? He had to tell them who the son of David was. No. I think they were God-fearers, as the old language says, right? People who revered God and still had hope in these Messiah promises of old, and, and they revered God enough so they were good, faithful shepherds. I'm certain of that. They chose God's work that day over their work. They, they had to leave a large flock, right? But they, they made a choice whether they left the flock with dogs or what, we don't know. We don't know the details, but they talked to each other and said, hey, we need to go and look at, into what this is, this is, right? That's just been announced to us. They knew what was most important. They, they knew, surely, that wolf or thief could come. Any night, a wolf or a thief could come to their flock. But I think they had enough reverence that they also had probably a basic, what I could call, spiritual logic. And I hope we have this, too, as we have reverence. Is, well, if God has called me to something, then can't God also protect my other things? And if he chooses to let a wolf or a thief come, he knew that, too. I mean, after all, he brought all the angelic hosts that night and he announced it to us, so let's go do the thing that God has called us to do. Reverence helps us to get over some of the earthly fears we have. You see, and this is why I still pray about fearing God. Because when you rightly fear God and you really have reverence, then God helps you get over some of those earthly fears. Oh, should I really step out and share my faith, right? Oh, should I really step into this new thing God's calling me to do? If God is calling you to do it, don't worry about those other things. The things of the world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Right? So they revered God. And yes, it was an obvious scene and an obvious choice, but it's a a lesson they teach us, right? And I just want to say reverence is sorely missing in our culture today, and I'm not just talking about outside the church. I'm talking about inside the church, right? And uh, we need reverence. We don't need, you know, flashiness. We don't need smoke machines. We don't need flashy ministries. I think we would all, whatever stripe of Christianity we are, we would all be better served if we were just deeper, more deeply revering God in our worship, right, in our spiritual life. Reverence. God's plan first, God's ways first, God above work, God above family, God above everything, and he will help us take care of everything rightly. Reverence. Have you been excited about reverence before? I'm guessing some of you haven't. That's okay. Today's the day. Okay, moving on. Humility. 
humility. They were humble. Humble. We don't even know their names. Christian tradition does not record their names. They are the first non-family witnesses of the baby Jesus, and we don't have like Bob, Ralph, whatever. I mean, the story was bigger than them. They got that. Okay, now obviously they, they don't disregard the announcement. They, they, they do the obvious thing and go follow, you know, the message where the message told them to go. But I want to think about that too. They don't what, have what some people inside the, uh, the church have, and that's called false humility. False humility is pride. pride. We usually think of pride of thinking of ourselves too great, like I'm the best, whatever. That's, that's pride. But there's this type of false humility that's often amongst religious people of, oh, I'm the worst. Oh, I can't go see baby Jesus. I didn't, you know, wash my hands good enough. And, and so they didn't say, we, we, we shouldn't go, guys. We're unclean. Remember what the religious guy said to us? We're unclean. They accepted the identity God has for them. That's humility. They didn't think of themselves too highly. They didn't think of themselves too low, right? They humbly received and recognized God's identity of themselves. And so they make the obvious choice to go. But that obvious choice to go and to leave their flock, just remember, it goes against the religious advice of that day, right? They are basically choosing hey, we're gonna go against the religious stream of that day and we're gonna follow the Lord's lead because he sent his angels to us. We should, right? We need that type of humility that may seem like common sense, but common sense isn't as common, some are saying, right? So if God has called you to it, don't think too lowly of yourself or too high. He's called you to be part of his body, he says. You might be the hand, you might be the foot, you might be the nose, you've got your different gifts, but if he's given them to you, He's calling you to do that. He's called you to be a person who prays. He's called you to be a person who, who serves in your family. He didn't put you in your relationships by accident. Just kind of lean into that. Don't say, oh, but I can't ever share my faith, or I won't ever have an opportunity. And don't think, oh, I'm the best. I'm a Christian and my family's not. But just accept God has a place for you. And don't think yourself is unclean. He'll clean you up just fine. He already has. So we need shepherd type of humility where they simply just went. They were willing. They went and they were willing. God calls these men, I think, because of their faith, their reverence, because of their humility, but he also knows they will actually go and they will actually be the witnesses that he wants them to be. They will be good shepherds, not false shepherds. And and God is looking for willing hearts. God wants willing hearts. He's not looking for the most qualified or the richest or the smartest. He's looking for willing people who will, who will share his truth and his love in this world that so desperately needs it, right? I, I, I struggle with this truth. I, I think it's a real truth because I believe in God's sovereignty and control, but I believe there are things that God can do in my life that don't get done. Not because of God, but because of my unwillingness. I think there are things that could be better in this world because of the unwillingness of God followers sometimes. God isn't the one dropping the ball, right? He's asking people to go. Go is one of the simplest English words, right? Two letters, you shouldn't get that wrong on a spelling test, kids. G-O, right? Go. It's one of the most simple of words, but sometimes it's the hardest to be obedient to. God gives you a nudge to call somebody. Go, pick up the phone, right? 
God gives you a nudge to be part of one of our ministries or something. Oh, could I do that? Go. Step. Take the first step, right? It's, it's hard to be obedient. It's hard to go against that grain, We're, right? Go. It's hard to say, can I pray for you? Or, God, I want to learn how to parent better. I want to learn how to parent with faith. Or, I wanna, God, I want, I want to see this relationship in my life reconciled. What part of it is mine? God, what am I supposed to go and do differently? Go. Are you willing to take that next step? There's, there's steps to Bethlehem from wherever they were. People were asking me how far they were from the stable, and the answer is we don't know. But I know they didn't get there if they didn't take that first step. That's what I know. In order to go, they had to take the step. So where do you want to go this upcoming year? Where do you want to grow? Where is some ache or hurt in your life, or where is some gap in your life where you need to mature or grow? Or Is it giving more? Is it serving? Is it praying? Admit and take the first step. One simple prayer for willingness, try this on, you can write it down if you like, one simple prayer for us all is simply this, God, make me increasingly willing to follow your will. God, make me increasingly willing to follow your will. And just pray that. It's not a psychological trick, I think the Holy Spirit will help you to be increasingly willing, and you'll look for opportunities to step up and to be obedient, just like the shepherds. They went, and then they told the story. They shared. That's the next thing. They shared. They shared. They shared their experience. Obviously, they shared it with Mary, Joseph, and whoever else was there. And let's keep in mind, and we talked about this in Bible studies, but that may seem like a no-brainer. They don't know Mary and Joseph's side of the story yet. They, they aren't living in the Bible. <laughs> so some of us sometimes assume, well, well okay, we're connecting the, the dots here. And so, but they don't know that Mary had an angelic encounter. They don't know that Joseph had an angel in a dream. They don't know about John the Baptist yet. 30 years down the road, they will. Right? So they're stepping out and saying, this might sound crazy to you, but man, we saw angels. Okay, they probably said it a little more reverent than that, right? And Mary and Joseph are like, oh yeah. God is doing this story. Think of the months that as Jesus grew inside of Mary and she'd had the angelic encounter, and she had the experience with her cousin Elizabeth, and she knew special things were going on, but she's not having an angel visit her every day. And what a gift on that night for God to come into Joseph and Mary and say, yeah, you're not crazy. I know your talents are looking at you weird. I know your family thinks of you weird, but remember, this is my story, and I'm inviting you in, no matter if others are calling you outcasts, Right? And so the shepherds, they share and they affirm Mary and Joseph in that way. And actually, the word there, they're, as they're sharing the good news, it's the word for evangelize. The, 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 the word for euangelion, uh, just, it just means sharing the good news, right? They, they evangelize Mary and Joseph in a sense, sharing with them the good news that they heard and sharing that it was for all the people like the angels had told them, right? It's not for them to keep to themselves, right? They didn't let the greatness of the news overwhelm them. They shared what they had heard. <clears throat> I also think they would have shared wisely. Again, this is something else we talked about at Bible study. I want to encourage you, if you want to join Bible study during Advent, just 
to do that, feel free to do it. Um, oh, not Tina's tomorrow. Hers is canceled again. Sorry, I was supposed to announce that earlier. Anyway, um, they, they shared the information wisely. They're not the wise men, but they were maybe wiser than the wise men in this point. And wh- what do I mean by that? They, they share, we know they shared with people, but I don't think they blabbed foolishly. And there's a difference between sharing intentionally and prayerfully and, and, and just, you know, throwing your pearls before swine, as Jesus would say later. They didn't go out and share with people that might be in Herod's circle where the news might get back to Herod. I know that because we don't have a follow-up story of Herod getting angry at news he hears about these angels coming to, to the shepherds. We'll see that when we get to the wise men. They, they didn't know all the intricacies of, of that, and so they, they get Herod involved. But these guys, they, they share with discernment and wisdom, so they, they teach us that too. So th- there's a lot that we can learn from these shepherds is what I'm trying to say. But ultimately, he came to them so that we could learn from the shepherd, capital T, capital S, right? The shepherd. And what can we learn? We can learn that he sees, he frees, he leads, he feeds. He sees, frees, leads, feeds. Let's talk about he sees. He sees our need. He saw way back, of course, when Cain killed Abel. And, and he sees countries at war now, right? And he, he saw the blood that we shed, the brokenness we have in families. He sees the pain and loss of this world. And he doesn't say, therefore, I'm done with them. He says, I'm going to come into it. And though they spill each other's blood, ultimately, I'm going to give my blood. The Son of God says, I'm going to give my blood for them. He sees his sheep, and he doesn't want his sheep wandering and lost. So he f- comes to free us, right? He frees us. He comes to free us from the reality of being cast out of his family, of the reality of the, d- the things like Cain did to Abel, the brokenness of this world. He comes to free us from the sin that so easily entangles us in this life, like shepherds who free their sheep from difficult situations or, r- or take them out of a risky situation or away from a predator. God frees us and gives us the security of knowing that we are his beloved children, that he loves us and he's calling us into his life and gives us a purpose and life forever. He frees us. And then he leads us. He doesn't just leave us. He leads us. Jesus, as a shepherd, leads us. He, he doesn't call us anywhere he isn't willing to go. Think about that. The great shepherd, he faced temptation, Jesus did. Temptation of all short, sorts, but never sinned. He faced loss. The Son of God faced human loss, right? He faces abandonment, he faces treachery, and of course, he faced death, our great shepherd. He leads us, as the shepherd psalm says, through the darkest valley, the valley, right? The shadow, the death of this world, he leads us through it. He is the firstborn also from the dead to lead us to new life and everlasting life. He's saying, come on, outcast broken in the world. Come on into my family. I'm gonna lead you into your new life, your everlasting life. I'm gonna lead you. And then I'm gonna keep feeding you. He feeds us. So we, we come into this family, out, born as outcasts, born as sinners, but brought into the story. He grows us and continues to feed us with our daily bread. That's not just physical bread, but what we truly need for our spiritual growth. 
right? He will provide. We have a great shepherd, right? You have a great shepherd. Do you ask him for what you need to grow? Jesus says you have not because you ask not, right? Ask and it will be given to you. Do you want to grow this year? Do you want deeper spiritual resources? Right? Do, you want to, do you want to find deeper meaning and purpose in your life? Pray for it. Boldly, humbly, courageously ask. He's a shepherd who gives. He feeds you with green pastures. He gives you the, the waters that can still your soul and fill you up. He gives new mercies every morning. He's the God who came that night of nights to humble shepherds, utterly changing their life, right, because he was coming that he could change all of our lives, that we would never be the same. He wants to come so we're not outcasts, but we live inside his family, right? We want to reverse the American false gospel of Jesus comes and lives inside my heart. Reverse that and say Jesus invites us to come and live inside his heart. He wants us to live inside his new kingdom. He says, come and live inside my kingdom. You've been cast out. You've been broken in your human ways and the ways you treat each other, but I'm coming down into your world so that I can have you come and live inside my life, my kingdom, live as part of my body, my family. Come and live inside of his glorious, wonderful kingdom. They were changed that night but they still have a choice to say, are we gonna live inside this story? Is this story of the, what happened to us? Guys, are we gonna live inside that? What happened to us? Like any human, they could just kinda grow cold to what God did for them and disregard it later in their life, a year later, 10 years later. Oh yeah, I guess it happened, but they chose to not take the story for granted. And I would just say that to you, don't take the story, don't take the Christmas story for granted. Don't use it as an excuse to just buy more junk, right? Don't take it for granted. Live inside the deep story. I I believe they stayed faithful. I can't prove this to you, but I believe they smartly and continuously passed the story on. And 30 years later, when John the Baptist came, there was a groundswell movement ready for him of people that had been hearing the stories over the years and decades that there was a Messiah baby born 30 years ago. And then a guy comes from the outside coming and saying, repent, get your life straight, prepare, the Lord is coming. And people said, oh yeah, I heard a shepherd tell me that one time. I'm gonna go out and get dunked by this wild man. So I'm saying, when we have an experience with Jesus, never take for granted that he could use your bit of that story next year, 10 years from now, 30 years from now, and weave it all together, because he's God. He can do that. So rest and rejoice in him. Rest and rejoice in this story. May this story bring you deep peace, the Christmas story, the story of God bringing the outcasts in. They returned and they were glorifying and praising God, right? What does that feel like for them? Whatever burdens they had that night, they still had, you know, the troubles at home that they had to go home to or whatever. But were they changed? Did they feel different? Were they different? Yes, And when you come to worship together or you worship at home and you're working through whatever life issues you have, 
when you rest and rejoice in the Lord and you receive his resources, there are real things happening to you. The Holy Spirit is real. He's giving you real encouragement, right? Real strength. And he will help you to then go and rest in his strength for whatever's going on in your life, your health, and in this world, right? Rejoice and be glad, for we have a God who became human. Rejoice. It is good for your soul. Rejoice. We must keep on gathering together, right? And we will this season, and, and rejoice. This is the center of who we are, is rejoicers. God glorifiers, if we want to say it that way. A Christian who is without rejoicing, without praise in their life, and I'm not just talking about songs, I'm talking about the spirit of rejoicing in the goodness of God. If you look at your life and say, I'm not a rejoicer, I'm, I'm a Christian but not a rejoicer, I would say, be careful, you may not be a Christian at all. If you don't rejoice at the goodness of God, then what are you really, what are you believing in? Rejoice. And as you rejoice, share and grow. It must have been, it would have been, I should say, ridiculous if the shepherds did not share the story. I think we'd agree on that. It would have been ridiculous if the shepherds stayed the same spiritually that day and they look at their life 20 years later and they say, yeah, I'm about the same. Right? Instead, I bet that night, though it was an amazing night, and the greatest thing they saw that night, of course, was the baby Jesus, right? But that night started a journey for them, I'm sure, where they continued to be curious what God was gonna do next, where they continued to be prayerful, praying for that Messiah baby that they'd seen, where they, where they were studious in hearing God's word and talking about it, where they were learning about the Lord. It would have been ridiculous if the shepherds stayed at the same spiritual level they were that night. But that's sometimes what we have. We have ridiculous spiritual lives sometimes where we just stay too long in a level that we're at. God wants to grow you this season. He always wants to grow you because he's a good shepherd. And a good shepherd grows his, his flock and his sheep. He wants to have you be curious again, and that's good for you. He wants to have you be prayerful and studious and learning and deepening this year. So if you have heard the good news of great joy, it is ridiculous to not grow, and it's ridiculous to not share it. Find ways to share it wisely and authentically through your life. Find ways this season to be curious about the Lord and the story, but also the story he's involving you in. Be curious about how you could grow in prayer and how you could be part of living inside his story and serving others, right? And one day, as we, as we wait for the next advent, as we live in this life of growing, we, we are living as people who are waiting, watching for the great shepherd to return. When he's gonna bring all of his outcasts in, all he is pleased in, who have actually believed in him and received his love, those who are readying themselves for the day of the shepherd's return, right? That's what Advent can be used for this season, to call us to watch and prepare for the great shepherd to return. Lord God, I pray uh, that we would just ponder the deep lessons of the shepherds and the deep lessons of, of Jesus, the great shepherd in this season. And, and Lord, 
Help us to see that through Jesus, we no longer need to be outcasts. We are invited to live inside your family. This is good news, Lord. But we come to the communion table and we recognize again together that in order for us to be brought in, you had to be cast out. Though you never knew sin by experience, you experienced sin in a sense by, by taking it, our sin upon yourself and experiencing death and wrath. And, and Lord, as we come to this communion table, we, we want to rest and rejoice in the sacrifice of Jesus, the great shepherd. May this be a, a starting point for somebody here today, like that night was a starting point for some of those shepherds of a new way of living, Lord. May today be a, a starting point for someone here, a starting point of renewal or a starting point of new hope in their life. I don't know, Lord, but your Holy Spirit can use this communion celebration to help your people today. So I ask you, Lord, please help us to remember you and give thanks for your sacrifice. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.